vast, untapped frontier for mankind's brighter tomorrow. At Benthic Petroleum, we drill deeper into the unknown than anyone else in the business. Why? That's where our future lies waiting, at the bottom of the deepest trenches in the abyss. Our state-of-the-art two-stage oil platform system is environmentally friendly and low-impact, resulting in cleaner, purer oil that will empower our children for decades to come. Benthic Petroleum. Our power comes from the deep. Good evening, Dan. Do not. There is no try. I'll be back. I'm a doctor, not a bricklayer. Make it so. And that product is called iPod. One shall stand, one shall fall. Dogs and cats living together. That's just This is Geeky Street. Welcome, residents of intergalactic space and the Star Empire. This is Geekistry 58, and this is your interplanetary host, Bryce Irwin. And I am Michael Gaines. From the outer space. I am from the outer space, yes. You can reach me at mike.outerspace. <laughs> mike.outerspace. You can find us on the web at www.geekistry.com. You send us feedback to feedback at geekistry.com. If it is your pleasure, leave us a voice message. Be on the show, 734-418-7077 is the number. Leave us a message, make it cool and interesting, and we might put you on the show. I'm locking you in on a tractor beam. Prepare for docking. Okay, so I got to know, last episode you were talking about finding Battle Beyond the Stars on Blu-ray. Did you get that? Yes, I did. I have to say, it's pretty impressive. And people might say, okay, why why even talk about a, an old, relatively unknown bad movie? Be- because it's ridiculous. Well, it is ridiculous, <laughs> but here's the thing. Battle Beyond the Stars came out at a time, it was obviously a ripoff of Star Wars. I mean, that's what Roger Corman was going after. There were a lot of movies like this at the time. But Battle Beyond the Stars seemed to be the one that a lot of people put their heart and soul into. Okay, for for those who don't cheesy. know what uh, Battle Beyond the Stars is, though, it's John Boy from the Waltons in space, and he <laughs> flies a ship that looks a heck of a lot like a doctor's uh, examination room picture of a vagina. I hate to say it, but it's true. It's a Sador of the Malmori. I command you to surrender. I'll surrender, you sorry son of a mutant. And he fights uh, Blight Danner and um, George Papard in outer space trying to take down a hammerhead-shaped spaceship that's threatening his peaceful and docile world. Is that a pretty good description of Battle Beyond the Stars? Well, yeah. Well, it's just boobs. It's it's a Roger <laughs> Corman sci-fi flick. Yes. No, the, the ship is, is in the shape of boobs. But it also looks like a diagram of a vagina. If you look at that. it going front end, the outriggers look like the ovaries, and then there's the big center part. 
I don't see that, but okay. I'll take your word for it. I'm five. <laughs> and there goes our one female audience member. <laughs> right, and remember, Either that please, or she's like, no, it does. Please send, Bryce's, <laughs> please send Bryce's like, comments too. <laughs> Back to Battle Beyond the Stars. So there's this company called Shot Factory, and they've been putting out movies like this. Like They put out this really bad uh, now this is a bad movie. There's uh, um, uh, what's his name? Uh, David Hasselhoff. He had a movie called Star Crash, which again was a ripoff of Star Wars, but it's a bad ripoff of Star Wars, and it's just pathetically awful. They did, they put that movie out too. I think did they put out Damnation Alley? Yes, and actually, yeah. I want that one. <laughs> All right, so they've been putting these. They've been remastering them. They're in five point one. Uh, they're doing a very good job, and I think it's at least worth watching. I don't even know if it's on Netflix or not. You know, the, these movies being on Blu-ray is like lipstick on a pig. It's pearls before swine. <laughs> it totally is. I mean, yeah. you know, these are it, it, and that's I think what's so outrageous about it is just the very fact that they're putting something like this on Blu-ray. It's like finding like the crappy, beat-up old film print of Creature from a Black Lagoon from 1950, and be like, we're going to take that and put it on Blu-ray. <laughs> and they've done that. Yeah. <laughs> with, well, with yeah. well, remember when DVDs first came? Well, when CDs first came out, what they used to do is somebody would just grab the vinyl, record it, and put it on CD. Yeah. Until, you know, eventually people got wise to that. You know, the Laserdisc was the same. People would take VHS copies and put it on Laserdisc, and then and they would take Laserdiscs and put them on DVDs. But but this, they they mastered the um, inner negative. Well, yeah. oh, it should be better then. It's, it's, so, it should be like almost HD quality from whatever it originally was. Pretty much. Huh. You know, I'm of two minds of the audacity of putting something like that on Blu-ray. One, it's kind of cool because it's the audacity of putting something like that on Mm -hmm. (laughs) Blu-ray. But two, um, depending on the movie, and this is not one I'd be too concerned with, making these movies such high definition sometimes screws them up. And the thing that comes to mind is I have a DVD copy of uh, 1950s. Threes, George Powell War of the Worlds. Yeah, I War think it's worlds. 53, but George Powell's War of the Worlds. Mm-hmm. And that movie on DVD suffers for it. I mm-hmm. wish I could just, you know, watch it on VHS because the thing is is that the higher resolution actually makes it possible for you to see the uh the fish line that held up yep. the models. Can I amend that? Yeah. No. Years ago, <laughs> years ago, uh, my friends and I, and I had mentioned this before, we used to run movies every few months at, at a local theater. And one of the movies that we ran was War of the Worlds. And we got a 35 millimeter print from Paramount. And you could see the strings in the theater. So my point hmm. is, like, if you could see it in the theater, does Blu-ray actually make it worse? Or is it just the projection technology that we have today that's better? Uh, either that or you could always have seen the strings in the theater. Yeah. And I just never knew it because I was watching secondhand film crap on a you know three-quarter-inch videotape in 1970s at a TV station somewhere in Detroit. Yeah. And that's why I never saw the strings. Mm-hmm. But, but when we ran you know, it in 35 on a big, giant screen, yeah, you could see the strings. Eh, eh, what are you going to do? <laughs> but still, you know, sometimes it's the illusion of those movies. Like for the longest time, I, I still felt that uh, the special effects in that movie – held up over the years oh, yeah. i thought they were still really great and they still are it's just it takes some of the uh the fantasy out of it i think to be able to see in the same way that you can see the mat boxes in star wars if you look at the version mm-hmm. that hasn't been touched up you know the tie fighters flying at you and the little box is getting bigger and bigger and bigger around it why is that tie fighter in a, in a square <laughs> wormhole i don't know why they haven't fixed that 
it should and be the, easy to fix now. I know that's my point. They should have fixed it in the '97 print, but we'll we'll sort of not talk about. No, Star no, no. They were much. too busy having you know Jawas fall off giant creatures and like you know slapstick comedies and most Eisley, but mm. I just I yeah. Anyways, let's talk about Star Trek, because we didn't talk about that enough last time. Did you see on TrekMovie.com that the producer of Robot Chicken over at Adult Swim says that Star Trek is not deep or expansive enough of a universe to warrant uh, a whole lot of Star Trek segments on Adult Swim, nor is it uh, expansive enough to warrant a full special a la Star Wars? Uh, Yeah, uh, no, it's wrong. He says, and I quote... Star Trek is not as deep, as deep and expansive of a universe, whereas Star Wars is a universe. There's just so many worlds and planets and different creatures that are roaming around. You know, it's a different species interacting with different species. Star <laughs> Trek was the character of the week, if you will. It wasn't until later that you had them interacting in the political spectrum with all the different races and beings at the same time. It's really just the crew that you're following, and those are the only ones you know the stories of. How much do you know about those other characters and races? Very little. In Star Wars, you're passing an alien on the street, and you're like, what's that guy's story? He looks really cool. You just wonder where they're going and what's all happening. So, Michael Gaines, I'd like to ask you. Let's Mm -hmm. do a comparison, Josh, just off the cuff. Let's Mm -hmm. put our Star Wars uh, supposed hate away for a moment, Mm -hmm. please. Okay. I would like you to tell me some basic, brief, simple things about the culture of Wookiee. Go. (laughs) Quickly. As fast as you can. (laughs) <laughs> they they like to spell their planets with multiple consonants. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, they growl a lot. They uh-huh. have no clothes. And uh, they all seem to wear bandoliers. Okay, how about the species that Yoda is from? I have no idea. <laughs> mm. Okay, how about Vulcan? Mm. Vulcan is very hot, like New Jersey is right now. And um, they fight at weddings, and they don't have sex for seven years. Logical. Okay, how about Klingons? No, I can go on for hours about Klingons. Uh-huh. How about Romulans? Um, how about you know, Cardassians? How about Bolians? How about Andorians? How, can I, should I go no, on? Wait, because wait, the wait, point wait, I... is, you don't know damn nothing, anything at all, about the Star Wars aliens except for a couple of them because they've elucidated about them in the movies. You know more about Ewoks <laughs> by watching those movies than you know about practically any other species, including Chewbacca, who's a main flipping character. <laughs> You know most about Chewbacca from the prequels because they showed his home planet, and I can't even spell the damn thing. I know more about Chewbacca from watching the damn holiday special where it's damn life day and Princess Leia's singing about love. (laughs) And you can't get me a damn robot chicken episode? You're a googly moogly. So I guess what they're trying to say is that (laughs) <laughs> the, the marketing <laughs> the marketing hype of Star Wars is in full force even today. Yeah, I'm sorry. I had to go on that little rant. I no, saw that. Fine. I'm like, you got to be kidding me. Really? No, you, you're absolutely right. I read that and I just went, no, wait a minute. I mean, there, there are probably dozens of, of people out there, Star Trek fan writers out there, they're going, I can write. 
a decent robot chicken episode. There's just so much. There's so much to Star Trek, which is why it's permeated this culture for almost 50 years. Okay, but I'm going to throw Star Trek under the bus because yeah. in this case, from this perspective, rightfully so, baby. If you got a comedy, something funny to show, you're you're aping and making a parody out of a franchise, baby, Star Trek is the thing you want to make fun of. Star mm-hmm. Trek has got more look 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 at Galaxy Quest. The yeah. entire movie that's, that's is a, a parody you know, a of Star Trek. Point. Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's a great fl- best comedy since Ghostbusters in my opinion. Freaking awesome. Yeah. Star Wars? I mean, you know, yes, you can make fun of it to an extent and Robot Chicken is probably leading the way in that. I've laughed my butt off over it, but Star Wars runs dry after a while in the comedy routine. Why? Mm-hmm. Because it's good. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of bad Star Trek. Midget on Kirk, just saying. Midget on Kirk. I don't know. I don't know what it is except for their co-creator, Matt Senreich, hasn't watched enough Trek, apparently, to know the comedy gold that exists within William Shatner's bad acting alone, not even mentioning anything <laughs> I else. I don't know what you mean. I do not either. There's some thing on the wing. Please call me right now, and we'll work this out. And now let's go to our other subject. Okay. Illogical. So in the past couple weeks since the first show, uh, one of the big things that's come out is the end of the Harry Potter universe <laughs> on the in in film anyways the book ending happened back in what was it 08 07 something yeah. like that but uh the movie has series has finally wrapped up and i, I think it was uh i think it was a pretty epic conclusion um uh, you know i had uh, i had my issues throughout the series off and on as to whether how how good i actually thought it was but i think all told i think it makes uh, a pretty classic entry what what are your thoughts about it I thought the movie was great. I loved the way that the story ended. I was not a huge Harry Potter fan like everybody else, but I appreciated him for what it was. And I thought that the, I thought the last four were very, very strong movies. And I thought that they were great. I, I, the audience was so into it. Remember what I was oh, yeah. saying about yeah. aliens? Yeah. It was like, well, it wasn't as, it wasn't like midnight show type, but I mean, there are people in the audience that were just absolutely loving it. And it was so good because there was a lot of energy in the theater and I thought that it was a lot of fun. Oh, there were two moments in the screening that I saw and I'm not going to say them just in the off chance somebody hasn't seen it yet and wouldn't like yeah. it spoiled, but there were two moments in there where people literally were cheering. Yep. And I, I haven't seen that very often. Yep. That, that, you're right. That is what we said last week, and I was actually happy to see it. I was like, oh, heck yeah, this is awesome. It makes it a heck of a lot more fun watching it, and it mm-hmm. seemed very sort of Return of the Jedi-ish, the, the feel in that movie. It was like <laughs> a, a real good you know, conclusion kind of flip. Yeah. It was, a, it was a classy series and a classy ending, and I thought that it was great. And, I, you know, again, I'm not a, a huge monster Harry Potter fan. I think it came out a little too late in my life, um, but I'm going to go back and read the books. Well, and, okay, if you haven't read the books, then everyone will be telling you what they've told me when I haven't read the books either, which is, well, duh, you haven't read the books. It's super mm-hmm. great and expansive if you read the books. And I think, you know, some of the things that I've looked at with the movies and not really complained about, but just noticed it's like, you know, I really, some of these characters sort of flit in and out of the story and I'd like to know more about them. Well, duh, mm-hmm. if you read the books, you'll know all about them. I really like the Harry Potter series as a film series, but I learned a long time ago 
when I know that there is a previous book uh, library or a bunch of volumes of books and a story and they're going to make a movie out of it, I don't mm-hmm. go read the books because I, I remember very clearly having read Jurassic Park before I saw Jurassic Park. Oh, and Jurassic yeah. Park was ruined for me because I thought the original book by Michael Crichton was so much better and I was mm-hmm. annoyed at the movie. Mm-hmm. And what I've learned in you know later years is, is that if I don't read the book – and I go see the movie, I might really enjoy the movie like I have with the Harry Potter series. And now to go back and read her books is going to be like the director's version of the movies. Mm-hmm. So I have the, the, you know, the movies and the soundtracks and everything in my head while I read the books. But it'll be like you know the super version of the movies. You know what? I'll probably come back in a few months and I'll say, look, I read all the books. And I think this thing is the best thing since Lord of the Rings. Well, and, you know, I'll tell you one thing that sticks in my mind right off the bat about the Harry Potter universe that totally pissed me off about Lord of the Rings after I watched mm-hmm. Harry Potter mm-hmm. is why did Gandalf never even come as close to being as cool as Dumbledore was in yes, Harry Potter? Yes, I, I, I have thought of that, and, and I haven't read Lord of the Rings since junior high. And there are a couple times where I just kept thinking, well, but, well, why don't you do something? <laughs> yeah, no, dude, seriously, it's like, so, okay, Gandalf's claim to fame is he slammed his staff to the ground in Fellowship of the Ring and, yeah. you shall not pass, right? Yeah. That's one. Then he dies. He gets mm-hmm. his butt handed to him. He dies. He comes back. He's like super wizard. And what does he do? He rides in. He has, like, his staff glows and sends a ray of light into the air. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the time, he really can't do anything. He can't yeah. do anything at all. He's he's toe to toe with the ring wraith, and you're like, awesome. They're gonna throw down. What happens? He gets his ass handed to him. So mm-hmm. I'm like, what kind of wizard is Gandalf? What can he actually do? Yeah. I could, you know, they had a, the chick take out take out the ring wraith with a sword, and you couldn't do anything. <laughs> well, it's lame. She's not a man. Well, and then you saw like you know Dumbledore and Voldemort going at it, and they've got horribly stupid and cheesy names. Yet there's some throwdown magic going on there. Is. there. They're like blowing out windows and throwing the glass at each other and fire dragons and that that that, that was is good. what wizards should look like when they're in their prime. That was like Yoda and the Emperor throwing down mm-hmm. level of coolness. And by the way, that wow. was cool in Star speaking Wars of Three. See? Level of, See? Yes. So speaking of level of coolness, what I wanted to say, and I, and I read that this was expanded more, is that. Ron Weasley's mom and and Beatrix going at it. Yeah, in the movie it's like ten seconds, but apparently it was like much more expanded in the book. I was like, I'm not going to read the book. If you want to hear more about Harry Potter stuff, uh, we're doing a whole the screen episode of it here uh, this week. So by the time this show comes out, that will already be out. So go check the Taverncast feed, look for the screen, and you'll see that review. Awesome. I need your clothes, your boots. And your motorcycle. Geek of us, Keep it under 65. We don't want to be pulled over. Affirmative. No, 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 no. You gotta listen to the way people talk. You don't say affirmative or some shit like that. You say, no problema. And if someone comes off to you with an attitude, you say, eat me. And if you want to shine them on, it's hasta la vista, baby. Hasta la vista, baby. Yeah, later, dick one. And if someone gets upset, you say, chill out. Or you can do combinations. Chill out, dick one. That's great, see, you're getting it. No problemo. Get 
this month, and this is kind of scary, this is the 20th anniversary of Terminator 2. And wow, I feel very old at this point. I, I, I do, because Terminator 2 came out at a time when I was in college, and I was working in the graphics lab, the engineering department, and we had a pair of Silicon Graphics Iris 4070 GTs, which mean nothing to probably most people listening to this, but there are some people that are probably going, oh, yes. They weren't the big CGI, um, SGIs, but they were, they were moderate size. They are about two feet tall. And it ran a software called Alias, which is a software used to do all the morphing and everything in Terminator 2. So I was working in the graphics lab before I even knew what kind of CGI was going to be in T2. When more about the movie started to unfold, as far as the technical aspects of it, I finally realized that here I am working on the same kind of systems. And so me and, and a couple of other people, including um, uh, Lindian from uh, from Warcast, he, he used to work in the graphics lab also. That's how we met. And a bunch of us were all doing like morphing and filling around with uh, with texture mapping and changing textures on the fly. And we would record everything frame by frame to a three-quarter inch tape. And, and we're just experimenting like crazy and having a lot of fun with it. And then the movie comes out. And all of us in the graphics lab went the same day. We had a party at the house, but we all went to this movie and we were, our drawers were on the floor. And then we went back to the lab that following Monday or Tuesday or whatever it was, because it was 4th of July weekend. And now we're just like, now we have to do stuff like this. And we did. We didn't have the, the laser scanner to scan our heads or something, but we would make these makeshift heads and then turn them into like a, this, this reflecting metal and then have them morph into something else. Oh, it was great. It was a lot of fun. I remember that after T2 came out, too, there was uh, everybody and their brother was morphing everything. Yeah, and then there well, was like this weird third-party software that showed up because I was working in production around that time period, a little bit after that, actually. Mm-hmm. And uh, everybody and their brother wanted morphing in everything. So some corporate client would come in and be like, can you morph our CEO into a chicken wing? <laughs> yes, we Why, can. Yes. But let's let's talk about the movie itself. Um Again, as with Aliens, and, and again, we're talking about James, another James Cameron movie. Yeah, we're two weeks in a row with James Cameron. Two weeks Cameron. in a row. Seven years between the original and the sequel. I personally felt that the story was true to the original, where Sarah basically just goes crazy. And she knows that something terrible is going to happen. She gets captured. Her son's out there, tries to escape. I thought that Linda Hamilton did an amazing job as Sarah Connor. Yes. And, Iconic. Uh, yeah. I would say the word I I don't think was she nominated for an Academy Award that year. Oh no, I don't think anybody in anybody in the Terminator franchise whatever was ever really nominated. Uh, I, I mean, it was good acting, but I'm not sure if it was up to that snuff. I saw the movie like five times in the theater or something like that, which is very rare for me to go see a movie more than once. Actually, I mean, maybe I'll go see a movie a second time, but just to watch a movie like that five times in the theater was uh, was a big deal for me. Uh, what did you think of it? Oh, I loved T2. I mean. It was again. It was definitely iconic, it, and it was at a time in my life when um, the art of filmmaking was something that was really sort of first and foremost in my mind because that's I was I was in film school. I you know really just in that whole thinking and mindset, making movies kind of thing. So T two was really awesome, and I always thought that Cameron was you know obviously one of the leaders. But I think that Aliens aside, which was obviously a great movie, I think Cameron came into his own with T2. Mm-hmm. I think that's when he really got big. I think Aliens kind of came out of this scenario where everybody was like, wow, that was a great movie. But I think the public at large really responded to Terminator 2. 
mm-hmm. more than they did Aliens. I think it was less of a geek thing and more of a general public thing. Well, the Terminator character alone is iconic. But how, they, how he humanized the Terminator in Terminator 2 yeah. was good, though, too. Uh, and they, and then, you know, Arnold became sort of a, a comic relief thing, you know, mm-hmm. whereas uh, Hasta La Vista, baby, you know? Yeah. But it wasn't done goofy. No. It, it was, was memorable. Act- it was actually done in a more natural way where it's not like they flipped the switch and all of a sudden the Terminator is dancing. I mean, you know, he was still badass and everything, but... I thought they did a very good job of humanizing him also. Well, and I think another thing that T2 did really, really well, that a lot of a lot of movies try to do this right today. Some succeed. I think most don't. But I think the public at large is also sort of immune to this kind of thing because mm-hmm. T2 was one of those movies that set the bar for doing this correctly. But it's doing a sequel where it ups the ante like exponentially above what was done before as far as mm-hmm. the villain goes. Mm-hmm. So the villain in the first one was Arnold. The villain in the second one, I mean, how do you top the Terminator itself, which mm-hmm. was about as bad as badass can be in the first movie? Well, yeah. you top it by making a Terminator that's even more crazy and wicked than, than uh, Arnold was and completely unstoppable. Mm-hmm. Today, I think people – I get the impression that people would be a little tired of that kind of thing. So it's, it takes something really, really out of the box uh, a la maybe Joker and Dark Knight, you know, for example – for people to really go, wow, that was a, a really incredible villain. But back then, I mean, he's, he definitely set the precedent for it. And I remember it wasn't just the effects. It was the fact that he had taken the Terminator, which was already relentless and unstoppable, and and made it into something that truly was like, my God, how are you going to stop this thing? Like nobody ever knew how you could stop it because there was nothing anyone could do to slow it down. And Robert Patrick alone, I mean, he had a good presence on screen, but I mean, he didn't have like Arnold-type presence. But the way that the character of the T-1000 was written, I mean, he was pretty scary for the time. Yeah, and you know, like, see, they weren't able to do this with uh, Terminator 3. I like Terminator 3. I think I'm one of the few people that actually liked that movie, but I did. I liked it. But the female, the Terminatrix chick, <laughs> you know, she wasn't as threatening as either of the other two in the previous movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, what, what can you really do? After you get a liquid metal guy, what do you do after that? So that, yeah. that was kind of the problem. So he well, he really did a good job there. You keep the franchise going, and I hear they're making another one. Is it in the John Connor prequel-verse? Or, I don't know. Or not the prequel-verse, the future-verse. I read that you know, Arnold is starting to work on some other stuff, and one of the things he's going to work on is a Terminator sequel. See, this is one of those things where I think, kind of like Aliens... There aren't any movies after Terminator 2. But, see, I can't say that because I, I actually think that Terminator 3 ended the series really well. Mm-hmm. That that was fine. I, I, did you like Terminator 3? I didn't watch it. You haven't seen it? No, you know why? Because it's, it's like, to me, Terminator 2 was it. I can it understand was, that. It was it. I couldn't watch Terminator 3 or Terminator Salvation. I couldn't because, as far as I'm concerned, that that last scene in Terminator 2 when, when she's doing the narration, you're looking at the, the, the road at night, yeah. that's it for me. I can, I, un- I can understand that. I can understand that. I think t- what Terminator 3 enables is the future world to take place. Um, so it, it kind of turns it around and says that fate is not something that you make. And this is sort of like how I felt about Alien Three is that, like, if if you go through this entire movie and you and you build up all this emotional f- you know, like feelings for the characters and the situation and, and and everybody in in it, and then you come out with another movie and you basically negate the last one. 
Yeah, but it didn't. It didn't. It didn't negate it in the way that you're thinking it is. Otherwise, I wouldn't have liked it either. Like, I can't stand Alien Three for the same reasons we said last time. Well, I'm not even sure we gave the reasons, but within the first five minutes of Alien Three, they've killed off every main character of the last movie, including Newt, except for Ripley. And Ripley's the Mm -hmm. only one left alive, and it's like a horrible movie. Mm -hmm. So they've they've just destroyed all the continuity in five minutes. Um, In Terminator Three, they don't do that at all. In fact, the whole movie's just riddled with continuity from the previous stuff and so it's actually pretty good and not to mention the fact it that movie enables the creation of the terminator the sarah sarah connor chronicles television show which unfortunately has been canceled but you know i was dubious about that until i started watching it kind of like it it's pretty good in fact the the best terminator i've seen since arnold is on that show and that's the one that's played by um, summer glow summer glow really a fantastic job good acting Very interesting Terminator, very interesting in in what she is. And she's a more advanced model again, but she doesn't use the liquid metal morphing thing. But she's really fascinating to watch. Now, I'm sure other people, just like anything else, are, you know, gonna disagree with me and be like, you know, Bryce, really? These Terminator follow ups? But they were good. And I don't want to get far afield from T two, which I think was, you know, the the pinnacle of the series. There's no doubt T two was the best, but I think it was continued admirably, not not in the John Connor Futureverse of Terminator Salvation, but in all the others. All right, I'm going to have to watch. I actually have T3 on DVD. I bought it thinking I'll watch it someday, and it, it just sits there on my shelf, and I go, nah, I can't bring myself to watch it. So maybe I'll maybe I'll give it a shot. It's pretty good. It's all pretty right. good. In fact, the opening scene starts off with the road. Okay, maybe I'll watch it. <laughs> um, there's just one other Geekiversary that I wanted to mention real quick, and I wrote a blog post about it on geekiversary.com. Which is related to T2 in some way, which is Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. And I'm not going to talk too much about it, but I just want to mention two things. One is that the entire movie is done with CGI, including the actors, which for its time, 2001, was amazing. It's a very Eastern-type story uh, that's sort of wrapped around a very Western storytelling movie. And it has its issues, but if you can sort of look at what they were trying to do, you don't even have to be a fan of Final Fantasy, but you should at least understand that that it's not going to be a, a Western-type story. It's a very Eastern-type story. If they gave it another year, I think they probably could have done a better job. I don't know if they were forced into releasing it when they did, but I think if they refined the CGI and tightened the script up a little bit, it could have been a better movie. I'll, I'll be honest with you. I still think it looks good, and I still think the story is uh, is interesting. Mm-hmm. I, I thought it was a really solid movie, and it it uh, it really surprised me at the time it came out. And it uh, I just caught it here on Netflix about a month ago and watched it again, and uh, it still strikes me as pretty strong. All right, so why do you think that people didn't like it? You know, I don't know. Did people not like it back then? Did it not oh, get yeah. good reviews? It lost so much money. That's why Square had to merge with uh, Enix, and now that's why we have Square Enix now for all the Final Fantasy games. Uh-huh. I did not know that. Um, I I don't know. Then I, I would maybe guess that it was too cerebral. I would say that yes. I would say in 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 as an anime kind of you know CGI feature because mm-hmm. you're right. It was very Eastern. It was you, you have to if if you appreciate and like any anime or any Japanese programming. I think you get more out of it because it it, it has more um, spiritual and philosophical uh, depth to it mm-hmm. than than some movies here in the West. All, all, having said that, though, unlike a lot of anime, the story makes sense, so it, it's a good balance. But I think I think the 
Final Fantasy Spirits Within has more akin to, say, Blade Runner or Moon or something like that than it does, say, Star Wars or something. It's not just sci-fi fantasy or sci-fi action adventure, although it has that that kind of element in it. It's got more going on. It's got some interesting ideas in it. That would be my guess, because anything like that, like Blade Runner didn't fare well in the theater either for the same reasons. That's a very good point. I didn't realize that. I'd like to hear back from people... Either you love it or hate it or give it a shot. Send us a note at feedback at geekstreet.com and let us know what you think of Spirits Within. I When I posted that blog post, I actually got some support from people on Twitter about it. They said, like, yeah, it was underrated, very underrated. Uh, some people were, were writing to me saying that they liked it and they actually thanked me for the blog post because they they liked that people appreciated the that somebody wrote something about it. It's like I always say, um, on the Internet – there's always a fan group for something that you're into. <laughs> well, that's true, but at the same time, there's always a bunch of people that that dislike, and it's just finding finding something that people like more than they dislike. Yeah, like this show, where all we do is hate on Star Wars. I know, stupid it. Star Wars. <laughs> Welcome back to The Ring, where we pit one science fiction, fantasy, comic book, book, movie, tech, titan of power against another. And this time, we are pitting Marvel Comics versus DC (laughs) Comics. Yet another classic throwdown match with no clear-cut answer and a bunch of angry people at either side waiting at any moment (laughs) to disembowel both Mike and I and disavow this show for the rest of their lives. But before we get into that... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Greetings to thee, dear friends. I am Thor, son of Odin, god of thunder, and verily I say unto thee, I am a marvel. Yeah, and uh, I'm a DC, so are you going to be talking like this the whole time? Indeed, mortal, but fear not, for mine movie hath screenwriters who toneth things down substantially for thine MTV generation. Oh, great. So shall we start? I verily. Does that mean yes? I verily. All right, whatever. All of my fellow Asgardians are gods. All of my fellow Green Lanterns are aliens. Ah, but didst thou know that in my movie, Asgardians are thought of as gods and aliens? Or did Thor just blow thine mind? Hey, the Green Lantern Corps may not be gods, but I think we could give you a run for your money. Indeed, thou art part of a mighty team. A pity that team is called the Justice League, and we shall never see that movie. Why Marvel and DC this time? The Avengers teaser was leaked. 
the real Avengers teaser that that was at the end of uh, Captain America. Yeah, it's on the post credits reel, like every other Marvel movie. And so, yeah, there's a little scene, and then there's a kind of a mini teaser for Avengers now. Yes, and you and can probably find this on YouTube uh, if, with a little bit of diligent searching and the willingness to watch a really crappy theater scan off of somebody's iPhone. <laughs> I, I have to say, I was very impressed. Did you see some of these people on YouTube? Did you watch any of the, like, you know, somebody shooting themselves reacting to watching the Avengers teaser? Did you see any of this? No. It was ridiculous. You should pull it up. Anybody listening, pull it up. There are some... I'm sure these people are aping it up a lot more than it should be, but I'm just like, really? Oh, my God. There's a guy who looks like like he's about to have a seizure. No. And I'm just like, okay, I can't even hardly tell what the hell is going on. So you're having a seizure over this, anyways? No, I. You know <laughs> I what? I wouldn't doubt I, it. I was I I was happy to see it. I'm I'm looking forward to seeing it at the end of Captain America, where I can actually appreciate it. What a, what a time to be living in, mm-hmm. to actually be seeing Marvel Comics heroes on the screen treated with this much respect, and also mm-hmm. the freaking Avengers. The, mm-hmm. They're doing a comic book super team movie, and they're not doing it as a joke. I mean, I, I have to just sit there and just pause and be like, I can't believe I'm alive to even see this happen. Well, not only that, but you have all the... All right, they must have had... a Marvel must have had a plan a long time ago. And if they did and I didn't see it, I apologize. I mean, maybe maybe everybody on the planet knew that the whole point of these movies that have been coming out for the last few years has been leading up to this. Yes, but, the, well, that was the plan for sure. They knew they it? were going to do Avengers. Yeah, by, okay. by the time they got to when they when they produced Iron Man, they knew where they were going. Obviously, because the very the the uh, the post credits reel to Iron Man has the first teaser for Avengers in it. Yeah, the fact that you're getting not only the characters but the actors who played the characters is amazing because you know how things are nowadays. Yeah, everybody wants eleven billion dollars for for whatever it is that they're doing. When you get a movie like this with all these big names like can't, Robert Downey, believe it. I uh, can't. I, I'm, can't I'm just looking it. at this going, going. Really, this is happening? Yeah, no, can't believe it. That's why I say it's a crazy world we live in. And I mean, you know, full disclosure for me, I'm a huge Marvel Comics fan, huge mm-hmm. Marvel Comics fan. I'm, you know, I, I was not as much of a DC fan as I was Marvel. And here we go again. There's Bryce. He hates on DC <laughs> and he hates on Star Wars. Kick that guy off the show. Anyways, but uh, (laughs) anyways, no, I was a huge Marvel fan. And so this is not quite for me seeing Legendary remake Godzilla and hopefully do it in the right way. Mm -hmm. And this is not for me the same as the level of absolute geek mental breakdown and heart explosion that would occur if somebody did a live action Robotech. That (laughs) would probably kill me. A good live action Robotech. Yes, yes, yes. But... Uh, that said, this has got to be coming in a pretty tight third. So yeah, I was excited to see the the trailer, but you know, I couldn't really see it. <laughs> it was just well, kind of muddy and quick. But other well, than how, that, I was like, hell's yeah. How would you feel if they were coming out with a Justice League movie? Would you care? I mean, I would. Yeah. Uh, you know, here's my thing though. See, this is gonna. I think we're already doing our ring matchup, and it's starting right now. Because we can get into the specifics here in a second, but my problem with the Justice League thing is that DC has not treated their movies well, or they haven't produced them well. Warner's has made a mess out of a bunch of them. Now, I I don't throw 
the uh, Nolan Dark Knight yeah, movies say, under the bus. You, you can't throw the Dark no. Knight under there. I think, but I think all the Nolan, the the, the two Nolan Batman movies were were very good. Um, I don't have any problem with those. I liked them a lot. But Batman, Batman has never really been Warner's problem outside of a few stray Joel Schumacher movies. Batman's a pretty great character to make movies out of. He's he's got a lot of depth. I like Superman. The original Superman, the movie, is one of the greatest all-time superhero movies. In fact, I'm still not convinced any movie has ever outdone that in the superhero realm. But that said, I didn't like Superman Returns, and I don't want to go into the myriad of reasons why. I'm sure we have other shows. We could always do that. But I don't think DC's quiver of superheroes is strong enough. Like, I just saw Green Lantern last month. Mm -hmm. God love Ryan Reynolds. I think he did about as good a job as he could have done with that. Um, and I don't think it's his fault, but that script was horrendous, and the CGI was lackluster, and the execution of that was poor. And so if that's the best DC's got, then no, I don't want to see a Justice League movie right now, because I can't imagine how bad that would be. It would be like a second kissing cousin to Marvel, and why waste the time? Now, however, DC should get off its ass, hire some like a little bit older actors, and do Kingdom Come, because Kingdom Come would make the best superhero movie on the planet. If they mm-hmm. could do it, if they put the money into it, but they probably never will. So Let, then again, go. we're we're talking about an Avengers movie. So you know, pigs <laughs> do Avengers, fly. Just say that again. Say that again. We're waiting for an Avengers movie that is being made in our lifetime. Yeah, isn't that crazy? I know. Well, let, all right. Let's go back a little bit. Growing up, I grew up with Superman. Uh, the reruns that were uh, from the fifties. On Channel 11, I guess it was. The so George I, Reeves The Superman? George Reeves, yep. The George Reeves ones where he would like jump out a window and people would go, oh, where did Clark go? I always thought, that, even as a kid, I thought, come on, Lois, really? Really? I, I can tell what people look like <laughs> with or without their glasses on, Lois. But I, I realized it was television. I grew up with Superman. My childhood was filled with nothing but Superman and Batman and Shazam and, and everything that happened in, in the DC universe. I don't know how. I can't say it's not like I could say. Well, my dad was a big DC fan. I mean, it just didn't happen like that. It's just that the exposure to comic books in 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 my path were all DC. I was very much aware of Marvel, um, especially after Star Wars came out, because Marvel had the rights to do the the comic adaptation of Star Wars, and I was so biased towards DC growing up because I mean, who could beat up Superman? It wasn't until I was older that I finally went back and started looking at some of the older Marvel stuff and realizing how good that it was. And that's when I finally got the appreciation for Marvel comics. And I found that if you look at the Superman comics from like the 60s and 70s, they don't really do much with the character. Superman tries to find a dog stuck in a tray or something silly like that, whereas you look at the Marvel comics of the time and they're so much better. DC has the older characters, number one. Mm -hmm. They have the one. They have a lot of the characters that come from the 30s. Um, mm-hmm, ba- sure. Both Batman and Superman are from the late 30s, mm-hmm. and so th- what, what you're seeing there is a lot of the same elements that you see in characters from that time period, like um, the Phantom, or the Shadow, mm-hmm. uh, or the Rocketeer, even where yeah. they're simplistic, uh, overly heroic. They're not very nuanced. They don't have a lot of personal problems. They are like the God <laughs> Man. That's what they are. Yeah. You know, they're the they're the elevated man. They, the one that 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 is not that way is Batman, who is more like, say, The Shadow. And th- that was a, a film noir or a noir-era kind of approach to uh, comic book heroes, mm-hmm. right? So he was like the dark detective kind of deal. And so was The Shadow, same kind of deal. But 
when Marvel first started out, they were very similar to DC. So Captain America is one of their temple characters. And in Captain America's original iteration, he wasn't very nuanced either. He was the little guy who became the big God-man hero that went off and fought Hitler. Mm-hmm. And uh, it wasn't much more complicated than anything that DC was putting out. And they had a stable of other stuff like Mr. Marvel and stuff like that uh, that was going on sort of at the same time. It wasn't until the 60s when Stan Lee really got into it, because Kirby's work on Fantastic Four wasn't wasn't incredibly deep either. It was really cool science fiction forward, but it wasn't really nuanced. But it was Stan Lee who started turning things around. And Stan Lee, I think, can be credited for turning things around all the way for comics, including for DC. Oh, sure. Because he yeah. wrote... He took the the risk, anyways, to write these characters with uh, as as human beings who had issues, and they would fight with each other. They would fight with themselves. They had to overcome personal foibles and things like that. Spider Man is obviously the the famous character for for doing that, uh, for 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 having a bunch of personal issues he had to overcome. And so I think that's what what started the whole move towards realism. And and DC's characters, because so many of them are so old, I think suffer from the tradition of those characters. So Superman, it's it's hard to present Superman as a flawed being when he's basically a god. And that's one of the problems with Superman as a concept is that there's only one thing that can really beat him. And from a personal standpoint, you don't even really want Superman to be that flawed. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that was my problem with uh, with Superman Returns, for example. They took a character that I felt was moralistically pure and was basically a god. He was a role model to an extent. When you look at the original Superman the movie and Superman in the comics, and they took him and they turned him into a flawed Stanley human that had a kid out of wedlock and left her there to go to another planet and, you know, whatever. And I'm like, I don't want that with Superman. It's this tradition that sort of permeates that character that you hold on to and that you don't want him to be that way. Whereas, like, Spider-Man, if he shows up and is, like, the character is, like, completely whacked out and, you know, does drugs and then comes back. Or they they have, like, Tony Stark and he's drinking a lot <laughs> and things like that. You expect it because the characters always did that. That was part of the problem that I had. You're right. With Superman is that when I was reading these comic books, and, and uh, admittedly, my I have them all. The ones that I, I grew up with in the 70s, like, around issue 300 from 76. I have a whole bunch of them, and I have a book called Superman from the 50s to the 70s or something. And, and some of the stories are interesting, like like with the bizarre world and such like that. But, mm-hmm. but yeah, you're right. It's very difficult to write stories around a character who can essentially fix anything in two or three frames of a comic book. Right. Well, and they, they weren't really written to be deep. They were written for kids. And yeah. as much – I'm not – you know, I, I'm not selling Superman short, but the idea in its inception was simplistic. Whereas mm-hmm. Stan Lee, from the inception, the Spider-Man story was not as simplistic, and it allowed a greater amount of um, creative freedom. Maybe it's just the advancement of our media in general. You can argue that uh, stories in the past were often more simplistic than what they are today. Yeah. And I think that's just because people learned from previous works and were like, we're going to make this more complicated now because that's more mm-hmm. realistic and audiences can deal with it. But, but let's get to the brass tacks of this ring thing. So we're kind of right now, we're talking about the, the realistic world of one franchise versus another as opposed to what superhero would beat what superhero. And maybe we should just yeah. keep that off the table on this one. And we'll do like separate rings about like Superman versus whomever who would beat you know <laughs> but as a franchise goes i mean who 
what are the pros and cons of each franchise, and who do you think would come out on top? I gotta say, I'm biased because of recent motion picture history. I, I would have to say Marvel. I think that the characters have much more depth, despite the fact that Batman, I think, is a very complicated character. But then you look at some of the other ones that that DC has, like Wonder Woman or The Flash, and they're good stories to read. And then you put down, and then you're done. But these characters, I just really never found that I wanted to find out more about them. My my opinion is is that DC's stable of characters is not as rich or memorable as Marvel's stable of characters. Mm-hmm. And I say that goes across the board because DC has sort of the holy trinity. They've got um, Batman, Superman, Wonder Woman. Those are the most recognizable DC characters. Right. All the rest of them fall into the periphery. And, uh, you know, your average person on the street can't name you half of them. Whereas Marvel, I think they have a more robust sort of cast of characters. And even their secondary characters are sometimes um, memorable from, you know, like you you think of Peter Parker and he's got Aunt May and Mary Jane, Mm -hmm. neither of which are heroes, but both of which are memorable as characters and are sort of crucial and a component of the Spider-Man story. They really don't go anywhere you know, without the Spider-Man character. But, yeah, I I think that's DC's problem. I don't think they have a a robust character lineup. That said, uh, I think there's good stories to be told, like like I said before, like Kingdom Come by Alex Ross and Mark Mm -hmm. Wade. Fantastic. Have you you read that? No, not yet. You should go out of your way to find that book. And and I'm serious about this. It's got to be one of the very finest comic book stories ever told. And I, I can't sell it high enough. It's fantastic, and it will change your mind about how the DC universe can be portrayed. And, you know, forgive me, comic book fans, any of you especially who are DC fans, if I'm missing something major that's happened in the meantime, I I'm, I'm just don't follow DC as much as I do Marvel. But uh, um, I have great things to say about the Mark Wade, Alex Ross, Kingdom Come. Fantastic. What do you think about the DC reboot? <sighs> I'm torn. Uh, when I first saw it, so I don't have anything invested in DC's current run. I don't and either. so for me, I'm kind of like, this is great. This is exactly what I've been looking for because I don't want to have to wade through years of continuity to understand what's going on. Uh, that's actually a problem right now with Marvel as well. I'm caught up on Marvel, but ask me how long it took me to figure out where the heck they were and how I could catch up on that in the way where I would get the key points. DC's mm-hmm. not a whole lot different than that right now. Part of me thinks it's a good idea. And part of me wonders if it's maybe a poor idea because they could really screw it up, too, depending on how they do it. Mm -hmm. And, I mean, I don't know how I'd like it if suddenly at Marvel something I care about a heck of a lot more stepped in and wiped out all, you know, 50-odd years of continuity of of the main characters and said, we're just going to start over. Nobody likes that crap. Think about, you know, in in anything. What if they did it with Star Wars? What if they did it with Star Trek? What You know? (laughs) It doesn't work often, and I can name them when it does work, like Battlestar Galactica. And now I've got the old old school Battlestar fans that are pissed off at me. But sometimes it works. First off, I don't think anything drastic is going to happen at Marvel while Stan Lee has anything to say about it. I think he's got way too much invested, and I think that people look up to him way too much to to just destroy everything that these people have invested all these these years into you know stan lee doesn't even control it over there though anymore no i know i know but i think out of respect for him eh, maybe either that or they know what they've got and they know it's a good thing so yeah things that have been messed up due to reboots well in my opinion star trek if you ask me but then again i mean look at the hulk movie they basically went back and redid the entire hulk movie which is never done so soon 
uh, because the first iteration of the movie was so bad, and I guess they felt that they had to keep their uh, their stature up. So with the Hulk movie, Marvel got the rights from for Hulk from uh, Universal, I think it was. Mm-hmm. And as soon as they got the rights to it, they were like, well, we're going to have to redo this to fit it in with stuff. I'm glad they did that. I like the second Hulk better than the first Hulk, for sure. Mm-hmm. But then I think of things like uh, Spider-Man, which is not currently owned by Marvel. And so Marvel's got nothing to do with Spider-Man, even though it's a Marvel comic book property. Same thing with X-Men Ghost. Nothing at all to do with Marvel films. They don't own the rights to these guys yet. That's all over at um, Sony. So, But Sony's redoing Spider-Man right now. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a movie coming out next year called The Amazing Spider-Man where they're rebooting it again from the, from the very beginning, spider bite and everything. And I'm thinking, you know, why? Why are you, what was wrong with Sam Raimi's movies that you have to start over? Nothing. Just, just nothing you want to switch the actors, that's fine, but just continue it. Yeah. I don't want to watch it again. I really don't. Actually, I watched the trailer for it the other day. That just came out to it. You know, I mean, it looks fine, but I don't understand why they're doing it. It's it's it, to me, it's a capitalization on the superhero thing without thinking about why they're doing it. So mm-hmm. I guess that kind of boils down to the whole thing with the DC universe. They could do it right or they could do it wrong. And one of the reasons why I think they're going to do it wrong is that they they said they're going to relaunch something like 50 bucks. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Wow. If you're going to do this right. You're going to relaunch JSA and Batman, Wonder Man. I'm sorry, Batman, Wonder Woman. Wonder Man? Wonder Man. Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman. And maybe some of the tier twos, like Aquaman, Green Lantern, Shazam, Flash. But nobody else. Like, I don't want to see any books about, about Steel right now. (laughs) <laughs> you know, I mean, but I, really, I don't want to see it. Or, or Catwoman. Catwoman I, doesn't need her own book right now. Is Put her in the Batman really books. care about Shazam? I, I mean, I just don't know. Because, see, the thing about Shazam is that I grew up with Shazam, and, and I still actually have some old Shazam comic books. But I just never felt, other than the fact that, you know, you can watch some little kid, which is, you know, roughly somebody who was my age at the time, like say a word and then become somebody else. And that's kind of cool. That lasts for a couple of years and then you're done. I mean, this this the Shazam mythos, it doesn't do anything for me. Same thing with Aquaman. I mean, it's just, I, I just don't... But then again, that, that's why you hire good writers. Well, and if you're going to reboot something, it requires yeah. more than just a let's make it darker, let's make it grittier, let's just reboot it to do that, bring it up into the modern times. It requires an understanding and a love for those mm-hmm. characters because you can't, for example, like I know they're getting ready to redo Superman again. You're going to yeah. just reboot the whole thing with a new actor. Okay, fine. If it's part of your grand plan to link your movies together now like Marvel is, that's fine. But A, have a plan. B, don't make Superman all dark and gritty like Batman because what worked for Batman doesn't work for Superman. And you have to know that and understand that about that character. DC worries me. They worry me about their creative control and their characters, and it worries me about how much influence the suits that Warner Brothers have over DC's products rather than somebody who cares. One thing Marvel Film Universe has got going for it is Avi Arad, and Avi cares about those movies, or those characters. And that's a lot of the reason why those characters have been protected as much as they have been, and put to the screen in a way that, if not perfectly, meets the expectations of all comic book fans, at Mm -hmm. least seems reminiscent and evocative of the characters out of the books that they came from. 
Yeah, it, it, they they seem to be making the movies that we as fans would want to see. At least as close as I could hope for. Because <laughs> we don't want to see things like X-Men the musical. No. 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 So DC and Marvel. I think we're both saying Marvel. Marvel. Yeah. It is what it is. I, I think it actually right now, Marvel is the clear winner, and I don't <laughs> think DC is. I don't think it's one of these things where the last one we kind of were on the fence. We are actually a little bit maybe political about Star Wars versus Star <laughs> Trek because really the reason for that, all the fake hate and everything aside, is that Star Wars really is great, and Star yeah. Trek really is great, and they both have a lot of really great things. But right now, in the scheme of things, DC's golden years, in, in my opinion, are behind them, and they're struggling to figure out how to revive that. And the best message I can give to the people at DC on that as a fan is you've got to be true to your characters, yeah. and you've got to start producing stuff for the mass public in the way that Marvel has that represents those characters well. And you know, Green Lantern, for example, mm. not good. It wasn't good. Just... Do you think that maybe... I don't. Maybe Marvel didn't do this intentionally, but because I mean, who could see thirty, forty years into the future? But I think that Marvel just did a really good job of future-proofing their characters, whereas DC, their characters were written in the thirties and forties. When, like you were saying before, people wanted something simple. Today, fifty, sixty years later, the audience of this type of stuff—people listen to our show or people that go to the movies—these people are are much more sophisticated. And the, and the Marvel characters seem to fit already. I think it's just that some of the older characters have some cheese effect issues. Uh, don't think for a second that Captain America doesn't have that. His name is Captain America. If you didn't <laughs> know. know anything at all about this character, and you weren't invested in it at all, and didn't know the depth of this character from reading any of the books, if you're just like a general you know, Joe Q public out there going to see a movie, it's got to seem a little bizarre. <laughs> Captain America. I am Captain America, here to fight for you. It's really, really cheesy. But then again, I don't think people realize it or think about it, but so is Superman. Well, I'm Superman. (laughs) I mean, it's really cheesy unless you know enough about the richness of the story. Mm -hmm. You know, so it'll be interesting to see how they handle Captain America, because while I think it's pretty good... And I've seen recent iterations of it by, for example, Ed Brubaker's recent run on Captain America for the past number of years has been way fantastic. And if they do anything along those lines of what he's written, then they're going to knock it out of the park. But you got to get a good interpretation of it. So, like Superman, if they, you know, if they ever if they bring it back again, and hopefully they'll do it right, they'll use somebody like John Byrne's run on Superman or something from the '80s or something where it's, you know, really really great character forward character true version of Superman so that's been Geekistry 58 We actually had another segment here planned for this show, but we ran long while talking about all this great recent stuff like Harry Potter and Marvel movies, so we decided to bump a segment that we had had planned for this show into Geekistry 59, coming in two weeks to an iPod near you, and it will be all about the scores of the movies, film scores, soundtracks, and great film music and game music. So anyone who's a fan of that, We'll be sure to love it. Anyone who's not a fan will be sure to learn something new, hear something new, and maybe become a fan. 
And actually, if you have a favorite, let's say for the last 10 years, film score, video game score, let us know. Feedback at geekistry.com. We have our list already done, but we'd like to hear what other people have to say. Absolutely. And if you send us a voicemail at 734-418-7077 with that information, we will play it on the show along with that segment. Yeah. So again, if you want to contact us, feedback at geekistry.com. You can find us, of course, at geekistry.com. My Twitter ID is at Starmike. And Bryce, why don't you tell everybody what yours is? <laughs> All right, guys. Don't, yeah. We were goofing around with the Loetas thing last week, and you know, obviously no one's going to use that. So just follow me on Twitter at Bryce Irwin, B-R-Y-C-E-E-R-W-I-N, and that's at Twitter. And of course, you can favorite us on uh, Facebook, follow us there. And please go ahead and jump on up to iTunes and uh, give the show a review let us know how we're doing so we can uh, change the show just for you. <laughs> <laughs> we're talking to you. Yes, you. Look behind you. And that's been Geekistry and your bi-weekly geek out. I'm Bryce Irwin. I'm Mike Gaines. We'll see you next time. Bye. Find us on the web at geekistry.com Email us at feedback at geekistry.com and follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, or Google Plus as Geekistry. Geekistry 58. Marker. You're recording? I am recording. I am also recording. We sound like we could be Klingons. We are Klingons! <laughs> yes, we are Klingons that cook dinner. You are not a convincing Klingon! Speak to me like <laughs> no? a warrior! My pink blood is pinker than yours. You do not have pink blood? That is a myth in only one movie. You are not Klingon enough. <laughs> you will now perform the rock talk with me. To <laughs> prove you that actually sounds kind of bad. You will not perform the rock talk with me. No one but my mate will perform the rock talk. I don't know why I said that. <laughs> why did you ask me to perform the rock talk if it has to be done with your mate? I was confused, Klingon warrior. Stand your ground and never speak of these things or I will kill you where you stand. You're not a very convincing Klingon. You're like you're like you're no, like Stymie the non-warrior Klingon. I'm like, you're like, hey, hey guys, kapla, hey. All right, Star Wars fans are just gonna hate us. Just hate I us. Know. Star Wars fans are already like, like the reason why the show only got X amount of downloads for the last one is because it was about to be downloaded, and the Star Wars fans who were force enabled <laughs> realized what was going on in the show, and the force was like, warning. It was like Ben Kenobi popped into these Star Wars fans, and he goes, "Don't go there." <laughs> There's danger in geekistry, Luke. I've been doing this for six years. I can't! I can't podcast anymore! <laughs>